Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I speak with Jason Sleeman, the Vice President of the Craft Beverage Lending Group at United Community Bank. Jason and I get into a number of topics, namely what's going on in the market these days for banking and financing, what aid packages might still be out there, and how exactly does getting a loan work? What's all the information that you're going to need? What is the bank looking for? How long does that process take? We really dig into the guts of the decision-making process, and Jason shares a number of the elements from a checklist that he provides to his clients and prospective clients on how to prepare for getting a loan. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Jason Sleeman from United Community Bank. All right, Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Terry, I'm, I'm glad that I'm getting to be back. It means that we both made it another year since it's been a year. We made it. We did indeed. So for folks who missed our first podcast episode, I'll put the link in the show notes. So definitely recommend people check that out. But I wanted to have you back on. So much has changed in the market um, from a banking, financing, really from every perspective. But obviously, banking and financing is your expertise. So I'm excited to uh, have this conversation today. So why don't you tell folks uh, who may just be meeting you for the first time about you, about United Community Bank, services you provide, and so forth? Yeah, so my name is Jason Sleeman, and I am a commercial banker with United Community Bank, and I'm focused on craft beverage lending for the whole U.S. And so we've got a specialty vertical where our team is really focused on, from our underwriter to our closer to our construction, um, you know, they're really focused on uh, the craft beverage side of things. I've been a banker now. I'm starting to get gray hairs in my beard if you saw the video of this. Uh, and so I've been around for about 21 years now in, in commercial banking, but focused uh, for the last nine uh, on craft beverage. And so, you know, we, we are, if you're in the Southeast, you would recognize us as a, as a full service bank. Anywhere else in the country, you would only know us from kind of our craft beverage or some of the other specialty verticals uh, that we have throughout the bank. So, um, you know, we're, we're really still very bullish on uh, the craft beverage industry and think that there's a lot of great opportunities out there and, um, you know, continue to see growth in the industry, um, you know, as we continue to go forward. So we talked, you and I, about a year ago, our first podcast, it's kind of amazing. It's been a, a year already, but Jan 2021, it's now January 2022. Back then we were talking about PPP, PPP1, PPP2, relief packages, et cetera. What are you seeing these days? What, what are the top banking issues? What's going on in the market out there? Yeah, so just overall from the market, I think you're seeing it. I, I think there's um, a desire still for some of that uh, relief. Um, there's there's not a lot of that out there at this stage, uh, but you're also seeing um, the pandemic had shifted a lot of breweries. So, you know, it, prior to 2020, 
some said, well, we're not going to do any package. And now you're sitting here in the beginning of 2022 and they've got packages on, they've got package on the shelf, right? They've got a couple different lines. They've, they've added equipment. They've done things like that. Um, you're, you're still seeing, uh, you're starting to see some continued uh, mergers. Uh, you know, some, some are small and some are big, right? We uh, just talked about the monster canarchy, um, you know, acquisition. You're seeing that some on a smaller scale. So you are seeing some um, small breweries who have said, hey, look, I, I've fought the good fight and I'm going to sell out to someone else. Or you're seeing someone who's saying, hey, I, I really kind of like that brand and I, I want to uh, buy that. Uh, so you're seeing kind of some, some natural M&A uh, structure that you hadn't seen recently. And then you are seeing still a lot of startups. So there's still a lot of people out there trying to start up and you're seeing expansion. So there is, uh, you know, people who've come out of COVID that change their model or have really endeared themselves to the local community. And they're looking to expand their uh, either brewery in their existing location or expand out and look for additional places within their region to offer uh, taproom models. Mm -hmm. And you work with primarily, you know, businesses, breweries that have been up and running for a period of time and writing business on expansion and so forth. So as you mentioned, you know, during the beginning stages of the pandemic, folks were expanding into packaging equipment so that they could, you know, really leverage up the off-premise. Are you still seeing that? Are people still expanding in that regard, buying equipment? Uh, or what, what are folks asking for money for these days? What's, what's the general package? Yeah, so I think we're seeing a, a couple of different um, request. And one of those is equipment only, right? So someone says, we actually had a really big warehouse space, or we had more space than we really needed. And so we've been on, um, you know, a three barrel. And so that three barrel was really just kind of supposed to focus on our tap room. But now we have cans, and we can't actually even keep up with the can request. And so now we have taps that are out, we have things like that. And so you, you'll see people going in there buying a 10 barrel brew house and in that same package are going out and buying new tanks and a canning line and doing, doing kind of these things. So you, you'll see that is the one place where you, you've seen someone who thought they were going to organically grow and COVID kind of sent them into hyperdrive and uh, you, you've seen that. The, the other type of request on the expansion side that I think we're seeing is someone who says, look, we, we were built for scale to start with. So we, we had a 15 barrel or a 30 barrel brew house. And, you know, it's amazing to think something that probably you and I didn't think about is a lot of the states updated their laws or changed their laws over the last two years to try and help support these craft beverage companies. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of others go in and say, we're going to add spirits as a line to what we're going to do. We, we are going to go out and get our farm winery license and we're going to add ciders or, you know, the, the advent of the seltzer. And so what you're seeing then is you're seeing these breweries that have, you know, four or five product lines. They're almost kind of like their own little bar. Uh, and so they're going out and building these small tap rooms around where they're putting smaller systems in, uh, but they're kind of doing a hub and spoke model where they've got the big, large facility that's still, handling their package. And then they're going out and finding these little small places and being in the neighborhood market. And, you know, when you do those requests, they don't need the big, they don't need to be in the industrial warehouse. They can be on Main Street USA. And so they they really have great margins. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, breweries that are trying to take advantage of that right now as, as kind of the recovery of people 
going out and, and trying to be part of that to, to find that higher margin um, profitable beer uh, on Main Street. Mm-hmm. So when people come to you uh, with a request for a loan, what type of information are you looking for? Like what are the maybe the starting points? Like what's the bare minimum? Like when they come in, how do you, how do you kind of tee that up with them? So one of the first questions I ask um, if they're in expansion, right? So we'll, I, I think we'll talk about startups maybe a little bit later, but if someone's coming to an expansion, you know, I, I'm, I am trying to make sure that their financials have done at least a V um, and the V that I'm hoping for, and not that it's still a downward sl- slide is that if I go back and ask you, are your 2021s better or equal to your 2019s, or are you, did you go 2019 went down to 2020 and still down to 2021, right? So it doesn't have to be a complete V, um, you know, maybe it's a check mark uh, where it's, it's come back. But what, one of the first things we want to do is we want to see that you've started to recover from the pandemic and that you haven't really started, you're not continuing to hemorrhage the money, um, you know, it's kind of one of the first places. Then, then the second thing that I want to make sure of is that we've got a strong understanding of how your funds are going to prepare, pr- propel you uh, into the future, right? So we want to make sure that what you're not doing is trying to borrow money just to kind of band-aid and, and patchwork things together, that this is going to be something that will continue to push you forward. And so you know, we, we're looking at that and making sure that, you know, we're not getting breweries over leveraged. I think, you know, there's a lot of breweries out there that wish they had less debt on their balance sheet as March of 2020 came around because it would have made them a lot more nimble. Um, and so um, I was talking to a brewery owner today who said, I thought we would be out of the pandemic by now, but hopefully later on this year, maybe that'll be the case. And so I think brewery owners are thinking a lot more efficiently and how do they be nimble. So we're, we're talking about that, but but also making sure that, you know, everyone is you know still on board. So, you know, we're checking the cap table because a lot of a lot of breweries did dilute their um, ownership table over the year. They may have gone out and done some crowdfunding. They may have gone out and sold shares. They may have done something like that. So making sure that that all aligns, you know, making sure that there's still quality financials that, uh, you know, they didn't skimp on uh, their CPA or someone like that. And all of a sudden, uh, their balance sheet doesn't balance or their income statements all, you know, messed up. So being able to have, um, you know, that quality reporting because, you know, in, in tough times, in great times, the you want quality reporting, but you can get away with it. In, in bad times, if you don't have quality reporting, you think you're making money and you're really losing money, that, that's a bad sign. So, you know, it really is just making sure that everyone has come back from, you know, kind of they're, they're not still sliding um, and that they know how they're going to spend their money going forward. Mm, interesting. And so you mentioned the dilution. Is that that is something you've seen a fair amount? Is is that is that a cash flow issue? Like, oh man, we're out of cash. We need to go, you know, raise outside money and dilute our shares as a result. So I think it would it happened two different ways. Um, is one people expanded in the pandemic, and either they were very young, um, so you opened in 2019 and you had no revenue, and so you you went and said, how do I do this? Um, and so the only way to do it was to go to your, a lot of people sold to their customers, right? Hey, we're going to sell 10% of our company to our customers. And, um, you know, the, the people who had supported it through the pandemic were now owners. Um, and so they, they did it to expand and buy that equipment that they needed to keep the doors open. The other was, oh man, we're, we're running out of money. We're, we're actually okay from an equipment standpoint, but if we keep on this path, we're going to have to close our doors. Um, and so they diluted it to make sure that they had appropriate working capital. Um, and so 
that that was that was part of it. And and then others, I think it was just kind of coincidental timing where they went out and they were raising capital and, and trying to do something, and the pandemic came and it hurt their valuation, and so they had to give up. They 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 thought they were going to you know sell. 10% of their company for 500,000. All of a sudden they had to sell 20% of their company for 500,000 because the, the numbers didn't go the way they wanted. Interesting. So from a, from a banking perspective, an underwriting perspective, any red flags there for you? Like what do you, how do you take that into an account when you're assessing um, their financials? So the biggest thing I always tell everybody when they come to borrow is you need to be able to have the story that goes along with the, the numbers, right? So you can hand me a, a set of, of paper and I can make my own assumptions. Um, most of the time they're wrong when I make my own assumptions. So I love when, you know, I always tell, you know, someone I'm like, all right, send me, send me this. But some of the most important things that you're going to send me are going to be the assumptions on how things go, right? So this went, this didn't go the way it was supposed to go. How come this, this was higher, this was lower, and being able to understand that. And so being able to understand the story that goes along with the number, especially coming out of a pandemic, um, is, is huge because, um, you know, again, prior to 2019, it, underwriting was a lot more number driven. And, and I'm not saying that it's not very number driven now, uh, but being able to under, understand and explain a one-time blip, um, there's a lot more forgiveness uh, in, in this time now uh, as we're recovering from that than there would have been you know, prior, prior to a pandemic happening, you know, bad, bad management is hard to explain, but under, being able to explain through a pandemic uh, is a lot easier and, and people are a lot more willing, especially if you've, you know, had the recovery, right? You were able to operate through it and now you're seeing that upward trend. Gotcha. So just to underscore a few things for folks, fundamentals, things to think about as you're approaching your bank for a loan, you had mentioned, uh, you know, the quality reporting, always key, you know, see if it's an outside CPA or an internal, got to have the good numbers. Uh, the V shape, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that because it sort of basically says, look, 2019, we know it went down in 2020. We don't need to talk about, we do need to see 21 rebound. So that's sort of a understood kind of baked in there. I think that's, that's helpful. And then the story behind the numbers. And it's interesting you say that too, because there may be a perception that, well, the, your banker really only cares about the numbers, you know, they're not going to, but you're saying that's not quite the case. You need, you need to have the story behind it too. For me, I, I look at it like I'm an advocate for the brewery, right? So clearly the bank's not going to do anything crazy. Uh, they're not going to, you're hemorrhaging money and the bank's not going to throw more money. at it. Uh, but if you can explain it and you have, you know, a story that goes along with it and you can say, here's, here's how we now adjusted that. And it's not going to happen again. Um, you know, that that's really important. That, that's clearly one of the things that uh, breweries that have a longer track record have, uh, I guess, a, a little bit of an edge on someone else. If you've only operated a pandemic, uh, then that's all you know, and that's all that your financials will show. Uh, but if you have been pre-pandemic and you had pandemic and you've started to recover, you can say, okay, but look, before the pandemic, we were in this really good shape and this is just a one-time blip and now we're back on. Uh, but it's, you know, it's still fundamental lending underwriting, right? So, I mean, you know, you, you still have to bring equity to the table. You still have to have good credit. Uh, you still have to have, you know, kind of the same, the basics. But uh, if, it's a, if it's a borderline deal, the story can change uh, a no from a yes. The X factor. <laughs> so I want to dig into the guts of the 
decision making process. So if somebody is thinking about, and I want to go get financing, um, their thought maybe is I need money so I can, you know, invest in my business in this way. And that maybe is where it begins and it ends. But from your perspective, and, and maybe this is useful for that person that may be approaching uh, their lender, how exactly does the bank determine if a brewery is going to get funding? Like take us, take us through that process. What does that look like? How long does it take? Who's involved? Because it may also be a perception that, you know, someone approaches you thinking, well, you know, Jason's going to make the decision, but you've got, you know, various protocols you need to go. How does, how does that work? And I know, I know it can be different depending on different banks, but what's kind of a common uh, process. Yeah. So I can start with timing. And so, Last year, we closed a loan, one loan in 45 days and another loan in 14 months. And so the hard part about that was there was a lot of things that were outside of the bank's control, you know, especially on these expansions, you know, getting before we close the loan, we want you to have a construction contract and we want the, you know, equipment invoices and we want you to have the appropriate permitting and we want to make sure that you know, if you're going to have a water, you know, wastewater issue that, you know, you've got an action plan on that. So there's a lot of things outside of just getting the money um, that goes into closing a loan, especially for a brewery. Um, so the, the timeline can vary widely just based on those outside factors. But, you know, a typical what we try to commit to is, um, you know, if, if we have a complete package and I'll tell you what a complete package kind of looks like. Right. So for an expanding brewery, that's historic tax returns. It's a year-to-date uh, uh, P&L and balance sheet. Uh, right now, we're just kind of using year-end 2021 as that, uh, that time. It's a personal financial statement. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on the personal financial statement, but that seems to be one of the places that uh, a lot of brewery transactions derail themselves. Um, you know, in the brewing industry, I, I've unfortunately seen negative personal financial statements where, their net worth is negative, or um, you know, we we say, hey, you, just using a round number, you're going to need to bring two hundred fifty thousand dollars in equity, and they've only got two hundred fifty dollars in the in their name, um, you know, and so being able to do that, and so the personal financial statement uh, takes a lot of massaging, and that's usually where you start to see all those kind of investors pull in, um, you know, and, and one thing that you know is always important is any twenty percent or greater owner. Um, is going to be required by the SBA to provide a personal guarantee. That seems to be a really contentious point right now for some investors um, in the brewing industry. Um, and so just something that, you know, if, if you're having to go out and raise outside investors, I think that's a conversation that happens really early. It's a conversation I have to have very early with uh, our borrowers. Uh, but also, you know, it's your personal, um, talk about personal financial statement, but your personal taxes, um, Background and credit are also things that sometimes, um, you know, will get you. I, I had someone apply for an SBA loan earlier this year who was delinquent on their government taxes. That's a, an absolute showstopper for, for that, unless you have payment plans and some other things going. If you're currently just, you just haven't paid your taxes or you've got a student loan that you've stopped paying and it's not, not as part of any of the, uh, you know, deferral programs, but you just stop paying, it, you know, it, the SBA is a government product. And so if you're currently delinquent on any government debt, if you've got a bankruptcy, um, if you've got, you know, something that is really kind of hard to explain in your background, those are all things that can kind of derail it. So th- those are some things to think about from the personal side. But traditionally, what I try and do is if I can get a full package, 
within three to four days, um, we're going to try and give you a initial, you know, either term sheet that says we, we think we can do this and here's generally what we can do. Or we're going to try and say, hey, this just isn't going to be a fit for uh, what you're trying to do right now. Here are the three or four things that you need to strengthen or do differently um, to try and make it work. Um, after that, usually the underwriting process takes about two weeks. So within two weeks, um, you know, we've pulled credit and background and, and started to do some things, uh, you know, to, to really kind of understand it. And then after that, it goes into the closing and that closing department is going to be the person who makes sure we've got the construction contracts and we've got all the appropriate permitting and you've got you know, kind of all the ducks in a row that, you know, all, all those pieces. So it can be a very streamlined process, but just, you know, craft beverage uh, inherently kind of has a bumpier process than some other industries do. So those, those are kind of the, the big things. But I think just keeping in mind that, you know, it's it's just like any other loan. You know, if, it, just because you have a passion for something, um, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily relate. You've got to be able to have appropriate collateral. You've got to be able to have appropriate cash flow. You've got to be able to have, you know, all, all these pieces. And so, you know, you're starting to see a lot of, you know, on the expansion side, you're seeing people come and say, hey, I want to expand but they have negative cash flow or they don't have the collateral or they, they personally have, you know, they, they're you know, having these issues. And so they're just making sure that, you know, I always ask this, if someone asks you to give that amount, if you had it, you know, and, and I try and use the same thing for myself. If someone asked me for a million dollars and I had it, would I give it to this person? And that's usually a pretty good sniff test on whether or not you should be asking for money. And, you know, if you look at it and say it's, um, it's pretty good, then yeah. But I always tell people, you know, people just think oh, the SBA is this catch all and all that. It's, it's really not that, that, you know, simple, you know, banks, if they make a mistake, they only usually get one mistake per hundred, right? They don't get, you, you can't let half of your loans go bad um, and still be in business. And so it, it is all about managing risk. And so you're just trying to present the appropriate risk profile. Mm, yeah, that's a good rundown. Do you guys provide, so the checklist of things that you had mentioned, right? So how can people prepare, right? You know, get your uh, historical tax returns, your P&L balance sheet and so forth. Is that something that you have like a check? I'm a big checklist guy. Like you, do you provide that to them? And hey, come back, see me in a week and pull this stuff together. Yeah. How does that work? So my, so my process, because I understand how craft beverage is that what was important today may get not important in a couple of days. So what I traditionally do is I'll talk to someone, make sure they have their email, I will forward them a checklist with all the attachments. So all the forms they need to fill out, you know, and kind of a bullet point of include this, include this, include this, include this. And then I, I will tell them that I will call them back in two weeks to start uh, understanding what questions they have. Cause it usually takes, now sometimes I get it back the next day and that is usually a great sign. Uh, but normally it takes a couple of weeks and I usually call them in a couple of weeks and answer any questions they have. And, you know, inevitably during the pandemic, uh, just owners of, breweries, distilleries, cideries, wineries, they're, they're just, they're pulled in a million directions right now. And so it may be really important on Monday uh, and then, you know, something goes wrong on Tuesday and it's not important again until I call again in a couple of weeks. So I do, I, I provide a list and then I also try and, you know, help throughout the process as we go. Mm, yep. That follow-up's important. And that's, you know, that's a large part of the reason, you know, where you and I are doing stuff like this is to, is to help give you know, craft brewery owners, operators, the tools and resources to, and I guess knowledge of, you know, these are the things that are going to be expected. You want the money, right? You need the money. Uh, but there's things that we need to do in order to get it. And, you know, for sure, we've all got other things to do. 
Um, but I think the more prepared people can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to do these things, the more they can say, all right, well, it's not going to go away. You know, Jason's email is going to come. He's, he really does need, you know, that P&L. He's not, he's not going to yeah. just say, well, you know, it's beer. We don't need to worry about it, right? It's, you're going to need it. Yep. Yep. So I think, I think the more folks can kind of hear that and then to kind of package it up. I mean, you, you've mentioned the full package and say, look, these are the components of it. Uh, it may seem like a lot, but you chip away at it. You know, you delegate some, your CPA can grab some um, and so forth. So I, I think that's a, that's really useful um, to get folks kind of prepared for it. So let's talk about um, you'd mentioned, you know, startup breweries, right? We, you know, we'd, we're talking offline, there's still a lot of people interested in starting up a brewery. It's just a cool business to be in. The pandemic has not really uh, tampened down, you know, those desires to get into it. Um, so folks are still interested. So where do you, when do you suggest they start talking to a lender? And I know startups are tricky, so maybe you can speak to that as well. Yeah. So I'd start by saying, I wish I had half as many requests for healthy expansions as I get for startups every day, right? There are a lot of people who are starting up. And then, but I, I do think you're also seeing a lot of people who may have been a head brewer or had, it was a, you know, head brewer is usually where you start to see it, but they're kind of breaking off and saying, hey, I don't really want to do something huge, but I want to do something on my own. And so you're starting to see some of that. Um, you're still seeing a lot of homebrewers that, um, you know, I, I've been homebrewing and I want to start a brewery. And, um, you know, it's, for, for that, I mean, we're still seeing a, a lot of that too. But, you know, as, as we're seeing it, um, I would say you probably can't start too early uh, from, you know, a startup perspective. And it's for two reasons that I think the earlier, the better. Um, for the most part, startups are not very cash flush. So I, I have seen a couple of startups where, they're not having to go out and raise equity, right? So someone comes and says, we're doing a $500,000 project. I've got enough uh, personal net worth that I can put the equity in and we're good. Um, I'm seeing a lot more $3 million startup requests where they need to go out and raise 600 or 700, 800,000 and they really don't have that, right? So that that is pretty early on to make sure one, you've got a concept, but two, you've got, you know, if you need to raise six or $700,000, um, that is not as easy as a task as it used to be. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot more breweries. There's, there's a lot more, you know, pull for people's money and um, the returns are a little bit slower to come. So if you have to have a big raise, um, you need time for that. The other is the site selection. So, you know, I've got a couple of breweries um, that we have given them the green light to, we'll give them funding. And we are now in like month 15 of the real estate search for them. And so, you know, you, you may have all your ducks in a row. You may have the bank having the willingness to give you the funds. You may have the investors willing to, to help you out, uh, but you may not be able to find the right spot. And so, you know, as you continue to find it, there, there's two main factors there. One, real estate's super expensive right now. If someone's buying their building, it, it almost doubles in some cases, 60-70% increase in the overall project. But two, you know, if you don't buy the building, then you have, you know, what, what you're limited to what's available for lease. And that isn't always the most um, attractive, right? It, it may be in an office complex or it may be in a, 
industrial warehouse, but not somewhere where people want to come and drink beer. And so, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of things outside of just the desire to want to start that, that really comes in. And that's, that's where, you know, you, you and I talked about earlier about uh, just wanting to continue to help and, and add the right value. And that's where, you know, if you come early enough, we can help you find the real estate person who's plugged into that, or, you know, you can find the right people to help you build your performance and, you know, all those kind of pieces. So I would say the instant you think you want to start one, it's worth kicking the tires on. Um, you know, I, I've still got guys that are, we're three or four years into knowing each other um, and they're still planning. Right. So it's, it's, I don't think it's a, it's never too early. And I think if you have a realistic expectation that it may never come, uh, but it could take uh, more than 12 months for you to get from concept to open. Um, it's going to take you more than 12 months, but maybe 12 months from concept to borrowing money, um, you know, is really important. Mm. Yeah. Most people are not super patient, right? You got the idea and you want to get going and you don't know why it's taking so long and invariably it does, but that's, that's good advice. You know, and I've often felt that and written about and talked about that, you know, your, your banker can be your business partner. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you want, you advocate for your customer. And so that notion of, you know, some people might be intimidated, honestly, about going to the bank being like, well, I don't know. I, if I show up and I start talking to Jason, he's going to tell within a minute that I don't know what I'm doing. That's going to make me look bad, right? So maybe maybe speak to that if people are feeling uneasy. What what is your approach with that? If somebody walks in and you can tell it's like seems like a good person but uh, doesn't have a clue. How do people? How would you get somebody over that hump of being uh, nervous about that? So uh, I will tell you that if, if you come and you don't know anything, it's great because I get to introduce you to all my friends who know a lot, right? So we talked about it. You know, if, if, if you don't know about the licensing, uh, there's really awesome attorneys in, in the States. Um, you know, I, there's CPAs that will help make sure that when you get down the road, um, you can do that. that. Carrie, there's people like you who I can say, go get this education from Carrie um, you know, it's easy. It's online. It's, you know, one-on-one, you can do these kind of things, right? So being able to turn people directly back to you, being able to turn people to the insurance when they come and say, hey, I, have no, I know nothing about the insurance, plugging them into someone who's an expert in the industry. So for me, I, it's almost, uh, you know, when someone already knows it all, that that scares me a lot more when someone's like, I don't need any help. Just give me the money. That that scares me a lot more than someone coming and saying, hey, you know, we, we, we don't know, right? And what, what don't we know? And, and so even on the expansion side, you know, I'm, I'm asking questions like, tell me who your insurance agent is. And when they tell me it's their local, you know, auto person who mainly insures autos, I'm like, wait a minute, like, let me help you, you know, find some people. And so I think all of us that are involved at the level you and I are involved in um, are, are more about education and more about being able to make sure that they're successful than trying to push a deal across, right? There's been plenty of times where I've told someone, it's like, hey, you, you need to wait six months or 12 months because I, I, I have used this phrase a lot and you know, I don't know this, a popular phrase is, I don't want to lend someone into bankruptcy, right? So I don't want you to be borderline and me shove a deal through just because it, I, 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 want, I want to be able to tell you yes, uh, but sometimes me telling you no is going to be the best thing because uh, you know that's important. So not, not knowing and, and being able to go through and say, hey, look, if we do this for you, it's going to be a mistake. Let's do these three or four things and we'll get it there. Or just, you know, it, uh, you know I'm, I'm on Facebook all the time and like the brewery and planning pages and just trying to add value. So for me, it's, it's the reason I came to this. It's, it's the reason that I'm 
um, you know, in this specialized industry is to really kind of help educate and make sure that we're making smart decisions for the brewery owners. Great. So let's talk a bit about aid packages that uh, may or may not still be out there. You know, we've come through there. It seemed like every other day a new aid package was popping up and now it seems like it's pretty much dried up. Is that accurate? Are there other, what are you seeing right now relative to, you know, help financial help for breweries if they may need it? So I think what you're seeing from a financial, so thinking back about kind of the assistance packages, you're really seeing that at a local level. So, you know, North Carolina through their guild just announced to all their members that North Carolina has a restaurant uh, relief package that they just released. And so I think what you're seeing is a lot less government, like national government uh, release. And you're starting to see a lot more state, uh, county, city, municipalities. And so it's, you know, there, there are certain places where you're still able to get them. Uh, but it's a lot more geographically you know, limited to where it was before. There, there's not just one blanket program out there anymore. So is that, would you recommend folks reach out to their local guilds and associations in that regard? Is that the place? Yeah, to start? I, I think, I think if you were going out and trying to find it, you know, the, the local guilds are going to be important. Um, being able to kind of understand what those, those uh, executive directors should be kind of plugged in, uh, you know, North Carolina is trying to actively tell people what, what's out there. Um, and, and um, you know, also just being able to kind of talk to um, the people within that industry, right? So if you're in a certain city, you know, be able to kind of talk to maybe that city leader, right? See if the, talk to the mayor, talk to, you know, the city leaders, see if there's something at a local level, um, you know, call the governor's office and see what the, they're, they're doing at the state. But, you know, the, the guilds should be a great resource for being able to find where that money is. That's great. So if you look back over the last year or so, are there any examples that you have of like really interesting things that you've seen breweries do? I mean, there's, it's been so strange. You know, people have had to be creative with their businesses, but any examples of cool things going on or best practices that other breweries can learn from? I, I would say that the number one thing that I learned was how resilient brewery owners are, right? So th this was we went and we had this hospitality industry and it looked like it was going to crumble. And for the most part, everyone survived. And so, you know, it, it was interesting to watch. I think we're in a different spot within where some of the cool things that I saw, right? So we, we saw, you know, I think the birth of the curbside brewery really was something that I never thought I would see. But, you know, we, I've talked to some breweries where they were literally standing out front, you know, taking an order, running in pulling a draft line, seeming crawlers, or, you know, doing, you know, literally calling back tanks out of, you know, kegs out of distribution because they knew they were going to sell, weren't going to sell, and then pumping those kegs back into draft and then getting them out. And so, you know, the things that I think that we've seen um, that, that I think are still replicate, you know, they're still applicable going forward is just the ability or just the thought that, you know, most breweries now um, are being very thoughtful about how they spend their money, right? So from my side, what I'm seeing a lot of them do is figuring out and saying, hey, if I can do X, can I do Y? And that gets me the same revenue, but gets me a cheaper, cheaper, gets me there a little bit cheaper. And so I think, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot on the financial side that, you know, is really important. But I also think, you know, 
where where we are continuing to see is that technology has become so important in the brewing industry, right? There's a lot of people who are not reliant. They're, they're, they now have, you know, line items for their web sales, right? So someone, you know, logging in and saying, I want to do X to go, or I want to do, you know, the, these pieces and being able to understand that if they can continue to offer technology. I think one thing that, you know, has continued and I think will always uh, could be interesting is like the QR codes on the table, right? So the, hey, I'm going to order. I don't really have to go up and crowd the bar um, and you'll bring me my beer. That, that seems to be something I think will continue to stay is that capability to serve uh, your patron without having to form a line at a bar, right? And, and what, are, what are some of those ways to that? And then the, the other thing that I think, uh, you know, has been really embraced and, um, you know, some breweries will benefit from it more than others is the, you know, the online queues or online ordering platforms for bottle releases. So instead of people lining up, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, being able to release it, you know, nine o'clock or midnight, uh, the bottle releases, and then knowing you can just come at your leisure uh, to do that. I think that also changes the game uh, for both the collector or the consumer uh, and the brewery from, from those pieces. So I think the technology is the biggest part that has come out of COVID uh, and the pandemic that I think will continue to improve and you know, be exciting to go, see going forward. So last question before we kind of start to wrap up. I'm curious, where do you get your your news and your information about the beer industry? Are there any particular websites, newsletters, subscriptions, anything? Where do you, what's your kind of go-to? You know, you, you wake up, you get the coffee. What are you, what are you reading each day? Yeah, so, uh, so I have actually set up a, a number of Google alerts. Um, and so, the, you know, I start, I start with the Google alerts and, it, and it's kind of interesting because it, you know, I've got a couple of phrases. So I, I've got, you know, my state and I've kind of got the surrounding states that are around. Um, I've got the BA as a tag word, so the Brewers Association. Um, I've tagged expansion, so anything that's expansion um, is, is related. So I'm seeing what's going on now. I, I will confess that normally um, when I see that, it's past when I would actually be able to do anything with it, right? So I just, you know, it just helps me to understand where things are. Um, but then there's so many, uh, you know, that, I think there's, you know, in my opinion, there's a ton of, you know, little things that I read. So, you know, there's porch drinking out there. There's good beer hunting. Um, I was trying to look at some of the other ones that I look craft beer, craft brewing business, um, Bednet. Um, there's a place called Absolute Beer. So there's a lot of like little just bookmarks that I look and they may not have anything to do with the financial side. Uh, but it's usually just interesting to see what is someone releasing, what is going on with that. But, you know, my Google alert really seems to have done a good job. It's, you know, it kind of catches what I'm interested in. It also, you know, helps me uh, kind of reach out to someone like, you know, hey, Carrie, I saw this happening and I uh, thought that would be interesting. I think, you know, I've sent you a couple of things um, that I just kind of caught through there. But there, there's there's so much on there. I'll tell you, in Georgia, I think we're uh, really kind of beneficial. There's a group called Beer Guys Radio uh, and they do their own podcast. They do their own radio, but they also have a website. And one of the things that they do that I think is pretty cool is they actually track like the new breweries and like the breweries that have opened. And so they talk about, you know, they, they recap that, you know, I, I actually just pulled it up right now. There were seven new breweries that started in Georgia in 2016, but 20, 27 and 2020. And so being able to kind of have a, a resource that continues to uh, 
track those things is 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 fun to kind of watch the growth of the state. So interesting. Oh, that, those are great resources for folks to check out. Well, this has been really helpful, Jason. Thanks so much. And I think you know, getting us updated on what's going on in the market, what's going on in banking and financing, getting back to some of those fundamentals, I think could be really useful for people as well. So if folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about United Community Bank, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so I am um, trying to post a lot of content on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's uh, Jason Sleeman on LinkedIn. Hopefully I come up pretty early. It should, it should not be that hard to figure out which one is my profile. Um, but if you, you look at me, my tag is actually Brewery Banker. So if you do that LinkedIn slash N slash I changed my name to Brewery Banker, so it's pretty easy to find it there. Um, you can email me at Jason underscore Sleeman at UCBI.com. And the easiest way to think about that is it's sleep man, but no P. Uh, makes it pretty easy to remember. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm happy to take a phone call or be on Facebook or anything like that. So it's uh, hopefully I've made myself easy to find. Uh, but probably the most place I'm putting all my contact now is out on LinkedIn. Excellent. All right. So this is your brewery banker. Send him your questions. As he said, uh, it's never too early to reach out to your banker. As soon as that thought comes in your mind, I want to start up a brewery, talk to Jason. He can help you out. But, and, you know, you, you made a great point earlier. I meant to, to, to bring this up was, you know, building out that team of professionals uh, can be so important because what I find is a lot of folks want to just kind of do it themselves. They'll bootstrap it, which is fine. Um, but sometimes you can really jump the learning curve if you have people who are professionals in these specific areas uh, that you had mentioned, you know, a, a beer CPA, a banker, uh, an insurance broker that understands the, you know, all of these things, you're going to have to do these eventually. Uh, so you don't want to kind of <laughs> cobble it together. So it's better, it's kind of better to do it up front and then get some, get some help in that process rather than, you know, just hoping you can find it online, Googling it, or having somebody give you a, a referral. So I, I think that's a great point is, starting with someone like yourself, not just for the financing, but for all of the other things that go with putting a business together. Yeah, I, I feel like one day I'll have accomplished it when I get calls and they say, well, I don't really need financing, but I need to talk to Carrie. How do I get in touch with Carrie? That's really what, that's what I'm looking for is to be able to be a, a general resource where I get calls for you know, CPA, uh, financial education, the real estate part of it. And um, later on in life, I get pulled in for financing, but right now that wasn't really that, that, that'll show that I've actually started making it back. There you go. That's the marker of success. Jason, thanks so much. Great talking to you. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.